Today's presenters are Tara Akri and Roy Wathwell. Roy is Director of Customer Success EMEA for Emate and Fluke Reliability. His customer services team regularly supports customers with implementation, consulting, training, and more. Tara is an enterprise account executive for the life sciences and automotive industries at Emate, and she specializes in a SaaS-based approach to SaaS-based solutions and hardware tools across enterprise platforms, focuses on a best practices approach. I should say they also spend a fair amount of their time talking to customers about regulatory compliance. Tara and Roy, thanks so much for being here. And with that, I'll hand it over to you both for today's talk. Wonderful. So we'll get the, the microphone and the camera on here, everything ready to go. So uh, first, hi everyone. Um, as Eric mentioned, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you're joining from. Thank you so much for attending the Fluke Best Practices webinar on compliance with regulatory standards in an industry 4.0 world. Today's webinar will be about 30 to 40 minutes, depending on the amount of questions. And speaking of, again, as Eric mentioned, if you have any questions as we go along, please feel free to chat in those questions into the chat box, and we will do our best to answer those as time allows. If you would like any follow-up information uh, after the presentation, we will also provide contact information at the end. And uh, to start off, we'll quickly review an agenda. So uh, we'll begin with a little bit of background on Fluke for those that are not familiar. Hopefully for those on the line, that number is not too many. Uh, we'll go from there into regulation changes in the industry and some factors that have affected those changes. And then I'll turn the microphone over to my colleague, Roy, to review specific uh, 21 CFR Part 11 regulations, user lex requirements, and concentrating on system validation, audit trails, electronic signatures, finally wrapping up the webinar with ways that technology can assist in making compliance easier. So uh, Fluke, as many of you know, has been a household name in the maintenance industry for 74 years, specializing in handheld tools, and most recently sensors for troubleshooting equipment and capturing overall asset health. Within the Fluke family, there are subsidiary companies specializing in multiple facets of the industrial world. Uh, EMATE, the group that Roy and I work with, is one of those organizations that focuses on maintenance management and reliability solutions for industry professionals for the past 36 years. While we work with over 3,000 companies all around the world, Roy and I are part of the team that works with the life sciences division and food and beverage clients uh, that really fall under regulations such as, such as UDRLEX and 21 CFR Part 11. Our goal today is to review a little on the regulatory requirements around the world, looking at compliance for 21 CFR Part 11 and UDRLEX regulations for those in North America and Europe. Overall, our session will be broken into a few different segments the discussion of the historical industry shift with respect to compliance and the factors that have led to those changes, defining the standards themselves along with common terminology that you may hear as you research the regulatory standards. Most importantly, Roy will go through the methodology on how to achieve compliance. Finally, we'll wrap up with the ways that technology can assist your team in both providing the resources you need to adhere to those standards while gaining competitive advantages in the industry. So let's start off and making sure everybody is awake with a, a nice poll question. Um, so what are you currently using to manage maintenance on your equipment? Uh, we'll allow about five to 10 seconds for, uh, to answer for those of you that may not have been paying attention.
All right. So, Eric, do we have the uh, the poll results in? All right, so we can see a little bit of the responses here. Um, for those of you that answered a validated CMS, great work, uh, already ahead of the game there. Uh, however, for those of you that answered manual methods or paper, don't worry, you are certainly not alone. Um, actually, as a fun fact, uh, as of 2018, about 58% of manufacturers still use some means of manual methods to track maintenance. Of that 58%, about 44% are still utilizing paper-based systems. So certainly, uh, again, not alone. So that begs the question of what has kept companies from migrating to a CMS and looking into system validation? If the goal is to automate processes and improve productivity, why aren't companies jumping at the chance to become early adopters or better yet, innovators? Well, um, there's several factors and opinions that are considered based on surveys of maintenance managers uh, and maintenance management organizations globally, um, maintenance managers came back with the following concerns that they feel really do provide roadblocks towards migrating towards an automated solution. Looking at the first two bullet points, concerns around data integrity and cybersecurity. This is a common concern when looking, especially at web-based programs, and it's actually something that Roy and I hear probably on a daily basis. Um, you know, how, how can we be sure that the data is secure? How can we ensure that only authorized personnel are making changes to our data? Well, uh, it may surprise you that keeping paper records doesn't always equal data security. Uh, yes, it is true that you can lock those filing cabinets away and store the information as long as you have the space and to safely store it. However, as we know, papers can get lost. It can be difficult to track down. Um, they can be copied, adjusted without any sort of time and date stamps to show when a change was made other than the honor system. Uh, I'm sure there's a few on the line that have had the unpleasant experience of having to dig through a filing cabinet or a folder uh, when an auditor asks an unexpected question. During a recent study of FDA sightings, records indicated that 79% of 483 warning letters issued by the FDA to the pharmaceutical industry in 2016 cited deficiencies in data integrity. The majority of these identified incidents were due to inefficient record keeping from manual methods. So if we consider the second two bullet points, the cost of migration, it's absolutely true that there's the cost of implementing any new change in a factory. These costs are not just monetary, but could also affect time, resources, and overall employee satisfaction. However, when it comes to comparing the bottom line cost of a digital solution to assist with compliance versus the hundreds of thousands of dollars associated with incident findings, the return on investment really does speak for itself. In order for employees to become comfortable with new procedures put in place um, in order to comply with the regulatory standards of 21 CFR Part 11, the proper planning of stakeholders is necessary. This could include creating a validation team internally uh, maybe looping in a training team, uh, bringing in your quality team, as well as others that we'll discuss later in the presentation. These concerns on adoption of new programs have led life science companies to fall traditionally towards the late majority on adoption curve. Understanding the challenges that electronic documentation presents and the changes in compliance standards, as well as the ways to combat them, can help life sciences and food and beverage manufacturers mitigate the risk of perceived difficulties 
uh, with migrating towards a digital factory. The hope is eventually to start to see these industries land in the early adopters category as industry leaders. Since the early 90s, there's been an increase in legislature and rapid changes in life sciences and food and beverage industries globally. Surprisingly, uh, this was led mostly by the request of the manufacturers and industry professionals to be able to have written rules and expectations of how their production facility would be evaluated. Uh, you know, we can't pass a test if we don't know how we're being graded. So, over the course of the next two decades, FDA guidelines for electronic documentation worked through multiple revisions, revocations, and new announcements that ultimately led to the requirements that we abide by today. Now, does this mean that the regulations we follow today will always be the same in the future? Well, given the timeline that we're looking at here, probably not likely. Um, however, that is why it is really important to have an in-house validation team or a vendor partner that you can trust to keep up with changes in the regulation industry. So, that does lead us to another poll question. Uh, let's take a second to uh, do a, a quick, quick take of the audience. Um, how many people in the audience have experienced an FDA audit within the last six months at their plant? And we'll give everyone a few seconds to, uh, to answer. All right. Perfect. So it looks like quite a quite a few of you have um, the majority not not recently, but looking to prepare for one. So while the goal of regulators is to ensure the safety and quality of the products from a consumer standpoint, there are several challenges that maintenance professionals deal with on a day to day basis with meeting those goals. Um, these include continuous changes in regulatory standards, variance in standards down to the auditor level. So if we think about that, since FDA resources are stretched thin across geographies due to lack of funding, auditors are sent to different sites, countries, and regions all around the globe. Each auditor might have their own interpretation of a rule or an offering. Uh, they might have different background qualifications, which causes inconsistencies in the way that the site would be evaluated. What this means is that a practice that may pass uh, 32 audits then one day would get flagged by an auditor for the same practice that they've been doing all along, all because of how they answered a question on the audit or who the auditor was. Last, deviation in regulatory standards across the globe means that international manufacturers have to be prepared to comply with diverse standards and regulations of that governing body. While industry leaders are predicting that regulatory bodies around the world will eventually establish a common electronic submission system to ensure inspection schedules on equipment and labs, this is thought to be many years in the future, leading us to what we're seeing today. I know that there are a lot of organizations outlined on this page. Today, we'll focus in detail on those regulations for the US, Canada, and EU standards, pointing to 21 CFR Part 11 and UGLEX. With that, I'd like to reintroduce my colleague Roy Rothwell to review some of the definitions of those standards and the best ways to uh, prepare your team for compliance. Oh, and Roy, it might still be on mute here. 
Hi folks, greetings from Ireland. I just pressed that button there. Uh, we're just getting over a heat wave here. So uh, apologies for uh, the sun burn on my forehead. Um, so the, the topic that uh, we've got here today, myself and Tara have been dealing with it for the last, I think, six or seven or eight years uh, in relation to our clients in life sciences. Um, and what we find here in relation to these two specific regulations, 21 CFR Part 11 and Udrelex, is that the um, the rules are pretty much still the same. Um, and the, the expectations from, I guess, our auditor friends uh, haven't changed very much over the last number of years. However, what is changing, though, is the, the environment that we find ourselves in within the context of implementing systems like software as a service solutions uh, and also the challenges in relation to the validation and revalidation side of the house where uh, resources simply aren't there anymore uh, like they used to be. <laughs> but in the context of that, maybe Tara, we can move on to the next slide for uh, a, a, a bit of a, I suppose, what I call a game here in terms of the terms that are used, and there are quite a few of them. So normally within the context of implementing a system uh, in the CMS world, uh, there's there's, there are terms, there are phrases, and there are acronyms that are, are typically used in the CMS world. When we involve ourselves with life sciences projects, we then start seeing different personas and different aspects and eyes of an organization um, with their eyes on a project. So this is agnostic to uh, the implementation of systems like a CMS. Um, but from the 21 CFR Part 11 side, um, generally the focus is around the technology and the functionality in the software around electronic records and electronic signature. Um, that seems to be what we find within the context of most of our conversations with our prospects and customers. Um, we take that you know, very seriously. We call that voice of the customer uh, in our organization. Also, we find within the context of when these prospects are going shopping, looking for a system like uh, the e-main CMS, um, there's also the eyes of quality and purchasing uh, within the context of that also. But I'd say from a Udrelex perspective, um, you know, in terms of terms, buzzwords and so on, there's a list there of 17 different terms and phrases. Uh, but those categories and those modules and those sections in the context of compliance, um, very, very useful uh, because what we're finding these days is that compliance that may well have originated from the, the quality stroke validation uh, phase of a project, we're starting to see more and more questioning around data security, cybersecurity, info security. Uh, and the risks associated with all of that. So even though on the left-hand side, um, our, our typical you know, buzzwords are electronic records and electronic signature, on the right-hand side, those two elements really only comprise a couple of those 17 aspects within the context of Udrelex. We might move on to the next slide there, please, Tara. So from our perspective, what we find when we have clients outside of the life sciences world, um, 
the the content of this particular slide would be pretty pretty uh, poor in terms of what we'd be seeing. There's a lot of aspects and a lot of components um, that we find in the context of life sciences um, that we need to be aware of. So our clients are typically coming from, you know, the GXP world. Um, there are some rules and regulations within the context of GXP, and then in alignment with 21 CFR Part 11 and Udolex. Generally speaking, if there's a, a piece of software being implemented in the GXP world, then we're finding that validation or some form of computer system validation is going to be required. That then takes us into another level of questioning in the, in the pre-sale phase. So we find ourselves then dealing with user requirement specifications, invitation to tender, trying to tease out functional requirements from non-functional requirements. Non-functional requirements we're very familiar with in the context of implementing and processing, I suppose, a new e-mail implementation in the context of the CMS world. Typical functionality, work orders, preventive maintenance, asset management and all the rest. However, in life sciences, we then need to be able to answer questions around risk, business continuity, quality, the other eyes of the other stakeholders in the context of the client's perspective. So we start seeing um, information that we need to provide around the hosting of where the software is, where the data is, uh, and we have policies and procedures all around that hosted in a secure environment that we call the policy portal. As we move along then, and we're into, I guess, post-sale, we're then into the implementation of the software, uh, and we're dealing with the implementation of the software within the context of the functionality of the software. And we have to remember the, the functional requirements around electronic records, electronic signature, and there are more. Uh, but mostly, our clients are keen to ensure that the functionality around those components exists and they can be proven to exist. As we go through then into the implementation, dovetailing into what we call computer system validation, there are more elements that we need to be cognizant of. And these are the traditional elements that are included within the context of computer system validation. Now, some may argue that this is very old school within the context of all of this paperwork and documentation. And most of the time, uh, our clients are comfortable with that, except that they don't have the resources internally for to be able to put these documents together within the context of computerized system validation. So we're here to help. and We can help put together the various documents within the context of a computer system validation project. So services around implementation of the system and services around computer system validation. As we get the system up and running and clients are happy that they've got the system up and running from a computer maintenance management perspective within the context of life sciences compliance, we then find ourselves in a situation where clients are keen to understand what's happening with updates and releases in relation to the software on a, a cadence that in software as a service world these days is far too fast. We find ourselves um, releasing software typically on a cadence of between two to six weeks. That's a, a pace and a cadence that's far too fast for our life sciences customers. 
So we've pretty much settled on a release cadence of three months. Uh, and then every three months, uh, within the context, I suppose, of you know, uh, periodic review and a release cadence, uh, we can provide services where we can provide automated test scripts um, to our clients on a quarterly basis to verify that the environment is still maintained within the validated state, particularly from a CMS perspective. So the journey there in terms of the stakeholders that we find uh, in life sciences are more vast than we would typically find in a typical e-mint implementation, where we're typically seeing the, the key stakeholders being engineering, maintenance and operations. So the eyes of quality uh, and certainly info security, cyber security these days uh, are what's important. We might move on to the next slide there, please, uh, Tara. So just to say, um, we find that the V model, the traditional V model in the context of software implementation um, is also applied to um, where we find ourselves with the, the various components of the services um, and the deliverables uh, that may well be in play within the context of the computer system validation approach. Um, a couple of items on that slide there in grey around the validation plan and user requirements and user acceptance testing, we find that our clients prefer to keep hold of those components uh, of a computer system validation project. However, then when it comes to connecting up the dots between the functional requirements of the software and the compliance aspects of the software, that we can point those requirements and prove them in what we call operational qualification. Uh, and that's typically uh, an exercise where there's a mountain of documentation required. Uh, the documentation is usually functional requirements, specifications, traceability matrix, installation qualification. The, the, core, the core function in there in terms of deliverable is operational qualification and usually there are mountains of test scripts. Um, we, we, we can turn up on site and we can facilitate on-site validation. We can do it remotely as well. Uh, but essentially what that's doing is proving that the software has the functionality as intended. Uh, we can take screenshots, we can have reports. Ultimately, we've got evidence that all is in order. When all is in order, we find that our quality friends are happy. They give the thumbs up to say, you're good to go and use the software in a live environment. And then we consider what's happening three months down the line when there's a, a new release and within the context of a new release we want to ensure that the uh, validated state has not been impacted as a consequence of the release and that's why we've got the revalidation as a service uh, product uh, available there and that is automated testing of the software within the context of the latest release in a safe environment we might move on to the next slide there please Tara the last couple of slides here, just to show within the context of the software that we've got around electronic records and electronic signature. So electronic records really to say who's been logging into the software, have changes been made, who made the change, what date, time, second, and so on. So the audit trail uh, function within the software provides evidence of all of that. Another key component then is going to be the uh, electronic signature piece to say, again, can we prove that who's logged in, 
have the rights to be able to log into the software. In this um, in this image here, there's the option for the user to enter their password a second time that verifies that we've got the right user in the software editing some functionality that they've got the ability to edit. Um, so that's typical functionality that we'd expect in the context of electronic records, electronic signature, the traditional functions we'd expect to see within the context of a CMMS in the life sciences organizations. I think that's me, Tara. Yeah. That is. Thanks, Roy. That was that was perfect. Um, so hopefully everyone is able to, to hear me all right again. Uh, just since we, we reviewed some of the specific functionality within a software that can help uh, your company comply with 21 CFR Part 11 and Neutral X, uh, we can now discuss a little bit about the technology-enabled approach that can help maintenance leaders gain a competitive advantage as well as encourage return on investment in the industry. So the, the features highlighted here um, are really best practices strategies that companies can use to support compliance and improve efficiency. If we start by taking a deeper dive into each of the features, as well as the benefits that go along with them, we can look first at sandbox testing of technology. So most best of breed software solutions will or should uh, offer a sandbox testing environment. This sandbox is often a mirror image of the live production environment that can be used for multiple methods. Um, the first is very specific to the life sciences and food and beverage industries, which is using a sandbox as a validation test environment. During implementation, a software may be adjusted, customized, configured to fit the unique requirements of your organization. Uh, these configurations are typically implemented within the sandbox environment uh, first for user acceptance testing. Once the configuration and workflow is accepted by the users, the sandbox environment will be used for the OQ test scripts that were previously discussed by Roy. Uh, these configurations will ultimately be pushed into the live production environment once validated. In addition, uh, future enhancements of the software should also be tested in the sandbox environment prior to deployment into the live environment. Um, this not only tests the initial validation software, but also allows, as Roy mentioned, for maintaining the validated state throughout updates and upgrades. And then the final benefit of the sandbox environment really relates to the end user experience. Uh, initially, users can practice and train within a sandbox environment uh, as they're becoming accustomed to the new SOPs and practices put in place by migrating to a validated platform. This is really critical to new user adoption of the program. Um, especially for those companies that are migrating from manual methods into a validated CMS program. In addition to the initial training, the sandbox environment can be used for ongoing training of new employees without jeopardizing the data integrity of your live environment as new employees learn the system. Migrating to digital documentation also allows for better accountability and employee, of employee tracking, customer audits, as well as areas of improvements. So as you can see, this is really um, two primary features. The audit trail that allows for internal employees as well as external customers with a time and date stamp to changes made to the program to allow for traceability. The audit trail also allows for historical analysis of the data as it's been analyzed and adjusted. So you can see the history of what it was, what it was adjusted to the time and date stamp um, for better reporting on those historical metrics. Finally, the audit trail um, is typically required during FDA audits 
to provide an inspector with some more of a digital breadcrumb of the recorded changes. So you wanna make sure that you do have that audit trail report handy. The electronic signature feature. Um, so do you remember one of the key concerns of migrating to a validated CMS system from earlier in the presentation? Uh, being able to maintain the data integrity. So the electronic signature feature ensures data integrity um, through a process of requiring proper credentials to making the change in the solution. So as Roy mentioned earlier and showed on the screen, users are typically prompted to enter a reason for the change for tracking justifications as well as their credentials. So electronic signatures can be set up um, typically, you know, either at a system level or ideally at a field level so that users with the proper authorization are permitted to make specific changes within a solution. Um, and then the electronic signature would ideally, again, be recorded in the audit trail uh, mentioned previously. If we look um, over here at this slide, just to understand some of the benefits of the paperless records that were mentioned previously as well. There's really two categories of benefits for paperless record keeping. Uh, the first is from an end user perspective, and then the second is from a data quality perspective. So for end users, typically migrating from a paper-based solution to more of a mobile solution or, or any kind of paperless solution does save on average about 44 minutes a day per person. Um, this is due to reduced time spent on manual writing and walking back to a kiosk to type results into a desktop, um, reduced time spent walking back and forth between a shop or a storeroom since the information is readily available ideally at your fingertips, as well as quicker response times to live alarms. So I was on site with a group once where it would take really about 25 minutes um, to walk back across the shop floor. And you know, in most cases, it was just to find out you had a new work order for the same machine and same area you were just at. So um, they always made the joke, at least they had their Fitbits on and got their steps in. Uh, the second area that we mentioned was the improved authenticity of the data. So really going paperless to improve that quality of the data. Um, mobile devices can be set up to capture audit timestamps of when the data was input, complying with regulatory standards, as well as the captured information. In addition to the compliance piece, real-time data entry does improve the accuracy of information because I don't know about you, but at the end of the day, uh, it's really hard for me to remember all of the notes and everything I did when it comes to be about 5 p.m. So you're doing it real-time as you're completing your work. And then finally, the digital checklist that you can see an example of here for pass and fail um, can be added to mobile devices to improve the user experience as well as standardized data quality. So rather than typing in freeform text, it's um, encouraging someone to choose drop-down list, uh, pass-fail radio buttons, and so on. The final and one of the most valuable reasons to move towards digital documentation and a validated CMS is to provide that holistic and consolidated view of your analytics. So by migrating to electronic records, corporations can extract more and shrewd metrics uh, from new and existing historical records. They can also provide actionable insights into how maintenance teams operate and ways to increase uptime of equipment, which is ultimately the goal. Automated reports can streamline increased demand for quality metrics from a customer, auditor, as well as an operations standpoint. And then finally, corporate level KPIs provide a consolidated view of data across an enterprise to ensure compliance with regulatory standards at a site level as well as an enterprise level. So as our final poll question, and to make sure everybody is still awake at the end of the presentation, uh, we'll take one last question of the, the audience here. So which element of a CMS 
that increases competitive advantage and return on investment would you perceive as the most helpful and relevant for your organization? And we'll give everyone just a few seconds to answer as we watch the, uh, the answers come in. All right. So it's interesting. It, it looks like, um, well, of course, the report, uh, reporting aspect is, is certainly the dominant. Um, being able to look at paperless, accountability, um, it, it really does go across multiple, uh, multiple areas of the, the solution. So, um, really, in, in summary, uh, the changes that we outlined today have led to heightened demand for electronic records change management reviews, and visibility into day-to-day -day metrics. Utilizing features found in software solutions, such as audit trail functionality, electronic signature sign-off, and maintain system validation, allow companies to keep pace with high customer demands, as well as equally stringent auditing processes. So, using the information that we covered today as a stepping stone to our next webinar series, uh, please don't forget, as we wrap up, to register for our Future of Life Sciences and Compliance Series, Part 2 and 3, using ACMS to help uh, solve the worker shortage, as well as innovations in maintenance from AI to IIoT. Um, as always, we do appreciate your feedback and opinions on today's session, so there will be a survey sent out at the completion of this webinar. If you have a few minutes to complete that survey, it is always appreciated and uh, for our team to compile future webinar series. We do understand that almost an hour of your day is a long time to give these days, so thank you so much for attending today's session. Um, thank you for the interaction in the polls. We'll take a few minutes to go through questions and um, Let's see, I think, Roy, we may have had a few questions come in as we go along. Yeah, Tara and Roy, I'll just come in with a few housekeeping items quick. That, that was great, thanks so much for that presentation. Um, yeah, I just wanna remind everyone that today's webinar was recorded and we'll post it to our YouTube channel and we'll also send out a link to everyone who attended. Um, we do already have a couple questions that have been submitted. Uh, if you have a question you haven't submitted yet, you can still enter it in the Q&A chat box there and we'll get through as many questions as we can in the remaining time. Um, a few people have asked if the slides will be available after the presentation. Uh, yes, I should say we will share the deck as well as the recording. Um, getting started here, Tara and Roy, with the first question. Um, somebody asked, do you need electronic signature on non-GMP regulated equipment if your plant has both? Do you want to take that one, Roy? I don't mind. So within the context of the software, the um, option around the conditions where the electronic signature can be switched on or switched off can be set up based on whether the asset is GXP or non-GXP. So just to add on to that, oftentimes you will see uh, really, it's that GXP regulated equipment that you're going to look at uh, a lot of the electronic signature sign-off as the, the main feature. So if you're talking in facility equipment that's not regulated, um, not only is it not typically something that's required, but not typically something your, your team will want to have to you know, go through if, if it's not required. Okay. And then uh, another question we have is, are there certain ways that you'd recommend to prepare reports for an inspection? So this has been a question that's come up recently, and, and Roy um, certainly 
you know, add on to it, but I, I know a lot of our customers have been saying, you know, how, how can we prepare and what is the best option? Um, a lot of users have been starting to create either an audit dashboard in their account where they can see specific reports um, and, and have readily available reports that, for, that they know the auditor will ask, um, the audit trail report, being able to drill into asset history and type in the asset ID, um, or an, an almost audit user in the account. So one of the things is you really want to show um, focused information rather than the entire scale of information. Um, that'll bring up more questions that, that could lead into areas that you're not prepared to talk about. So I know that's what we see most common is, is a, an audit user, an audit, audit user, dashboard, audit dashboard. Um, for preparation. Uh, for I don't know, Roy, if, if you've Roy, seen if something, if similar. something similar. Uh, just following up, I guess, is the... What, what the auditors to be looking at are a couple of different things. They're looking at the business of maintenance. So when it comes to equipment, show to me the evidence that that piece of equipment is being maintained at the appropriate cadence and so on and so forth. So that piece of equipment, a GXP piece of equipment, show me the evidence that everything is in order in relation to compliance from the maintenance perspective. Second piece of the puzzle is show me and prove to me that this piece of software has gone through some sort of a validation exercise and typically what we find there is that the folders or the binders of the mountains of documentation is pulled off the shelf to say that the software has gone through a validation exercise. So pieces of the puzzle around the product functionality and the validation of the software I think come into play there and I think that's what the, the auditor wants to see. And then the next question is, uh, how long do we have to save records for? And this is a kind of a broad one. I, I would suppose it depends on context, but do you guys have some insights there? So, so um, from my experience, it does typically relate directly to your industry. Um, if you're talking more, for example, not so much life sciences, but healthcare and hospitals, there's different regulations depending on your region as well as your industry. It might be five years, it might be seven years, but I would certainly look into the regulations specific to your industry as well as your region. Great. Um, the next question is, does Fluke offer an on-site stored and hosted CMMS system? Uh, my organization would want our information stored off-site and required an on-site, an off-site connection to access our calibration data. Um, the, the Fluke CMS is currently a software as a service, so it would be web-based um, serving as, as our servers. So uh, no on-site at this point in time. And then uh, someone just asked generally, where's the best place to find resources on validation to help us prepare for an audit? So I would definitely, um, you know, for example, if, if you're US-based, I would definitely go to the FDA website. Um, they have really great resources on there, really good articles uh, as you drill into it. There's different companies online that we can certainly share with you after the fact, but the, the FDA um, website and, and regulations is going to be your, your best bet for researching best ways to prepare. I might also chime in there, uh, ISPE as well, um, you know, internationally recognized organization, uh, GAMP5. So, um, you know, any of those acronyms, if you, you bang them into Google, 
you're going to find uh, the right resources then to help you out. Uh, somebody also asked, is eMaint actually an enterprise system, EAM, or is it truly a CMMS? Uh, and then uh, they add design for one site versus uh, common inventory, failure codes, modes, etc. Absolutely an enterprise platform. Um, the eMate solution, not only in the life sciences industry, but across multiple industries, serve customers at a single site or a global scale. So it can absolutely drill into those sort of metrics you're looking for. Okay, and this next one is just, uh, this is the last one I'll throw you guys your way, but they just said, thank you both for your expert advice and sharing with us today. So um, I think that's all the questions that we've gone through. Tara and Roy, in conclusion, is there anything that you guys wanted to wrap up with today? I think we're, at least on my end, um, again, just to, to echo, uh, really appreciate your time. These days, time is a pretty valuable resource. So um, very much thank you so much for spending 45 minutes with us and, and walking through. And um, we hope it, it was helpful in your reliability and compliance journey.